Hi, this is Eric Altman, Bigfoot researcher from Pennsylvania, and you're listening to the Bigfoot Club podcast. I wanted to mention, if you're listening to Bigfoot Club on any of these platforms, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Stitcher, Google Play, Alexa, YouTube, Listen Notes, or Deezer, please give us a comment, give us a five-star rating, give us a subscription, give us a follow. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, please like and follow us on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us by searching Bigfoot Club, the number one. If you have any Bigfoot, paranormal, or just strange stories, please email us at BigfootClub, the number one, at gmail.com. Please check out Matt Knapp's YouTube channel, Bigfoot Crossroads, and Planet Fear Podcasts. Planet Fear Podcasts can be found on any platform. Also, give and listen to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio on YouTube with Lauren Smith. Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio is also found on many other platforms. So if you enjoy the show and would like Bigfoot Club to keep making episodes, then perhaps you would consider supporting the show. You can do this by donating to our PayPal link. These donations will support Bigfoot Club to continue to bring episodes and content. Thank you so much for your support. Hey everybody, Robert Jesse Dominguez, Bigfoot Club, Season 3, Episode 3. I'm here with Ash and Steven. Hey guys, how's it going? Great. <laughs> Fantabulous. We had some difficulties earlier, but uh, yeah, it happens. Yeah, so, <laughs> so um, I before we start, I just wanted to say we have a new logo. Um, mm-hmm. by it was done by Jonathan Dodd, which I thank him immensely. He did a great job on it. So, if anybody that's on the Facebook page or uh, the Twitter or the Instagram page, if you could just check it out, check out our our, our new logo. We're going to be Moving forward on that on uh, on merch and stuff, so I'm I'm lining up some some possible vendors so I can start putting out mm, some merch mm, and stuff. So excited! I am excited too. So I mean, I still got one more commission person mm-hmm. that's just doing some artwork, so I'm pretty excited about that. So, uh, but anyway, Dan, from y'all will be too when you see it. <laughs> from what I've seen so far, Stephen, did you like it? Oh yeah, I thought it was a. Uh, um, Kind of like, kind of like the original, but like it's 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 tweaked enough to where it's it's still badass and it's still. Uh, can I say badass? Yes, yes. we're unrestricted. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I, I like it. I really like it a lot. I was like, oh, sweet! It's like it's still there. People won't get confused and be like, yeah, that's Bigfoot Club. Yeah. yeah, I said we need flags. Yeah, I, I'd like that too because we could use it for like for conventions and stuff. You mm-hmm. can put it like on the put it on like you know front of the table. But what I kind of liked about it, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Steven. No, I was gonna say we can uh, re <clears throat> redo the shirts. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, what I liked about it is that I had a hard time finding a Bigfoot skull. Well, because there, there's no Bigfoot skull. There's like well. there's like uh, Gigantopithecus, mm-hmm. but that's it. And there's like no frontal shot of it, mm-hmm. and it's, there's like no drawings of it. So I had to. Whenever I was talking to Jonathan Dodd about it, I said, "This is what I want, but I want it in black and white, and I want it, you know, facing, you know, forward. I don't want the jaw." I just want the mm-hmm. the skull and stuff. So he did a great job on it, and he did it like in a, one night. So it was yeah. a great turnaround That's time. Impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. So, but uh, most impressive. <laughs> so on that note, I just wanted to uh, talk about our. We have a we have a guest today, uh, and I'm really really happy. I've been trying to get him for a couple of weeks, and uh, I know uh, timing wise, it, it's been kind of off a little bit. 
but I wanted to uh, introduce. Uh, hopefully, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna mess this up. <laughs> Happy Harry Hardon, Zombie <laughs> Bukowski, <laughs> Ray Ramos, comic book poet, founding fathers of Indie Comics in El Paso, Texas, member of the Six Five Six Comic Faction. Uh, it's been publishing since the, like the mid '90s with uh, Dead Tree Comics imprint. Uh, he's written for Heavy Metal Magazine. Impressive. Uh, he's published his own uh, comic books. Um, uh, let me see here. Published his own comic books in El Paso for the first Latin superhero, El Valiente. And uh, he's also he's he's getting ready to put out a mashup of the the Criminals. Ray Ramos, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. I truly, truly appreciate it. This is a great opportunity that, uh, that you blessed me with, so thank you for that. I do appreciate it very much. No problem, man. Um, before we get started, I wanted to talk to you about this really quick. Uh, I'm not sure if you know about it, you know, because uh, my older brother, Richard Dominguez, does El Gato Negro. And, oh, yeah. and I'm actually, I'm currently writing some stories for him. And I'm really, yeah, I'm working on one right now uh, called, it's the Aztec Sun God, uh, Donatu, and I'm work. I'm writing the story off the War of Independence. Nice. So, oh man. So your character El Valiente is on there, right? Yes, sir. El Valiente is part of the War of the Independence, and he teams up with it with El Gato. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. So I'm I'm writing that right now. So this is this is a story, and I'm I don't want to make this about me. I'm I'm just saying. But this is uh, this is something I've always dreamt about doing for him, and he gave me the like like this opportunity to do it for this character that he's been drawing since I was a kid, and he asked me to yeah. draw, and he hasn't written any stories about it. He says I want you to write this story. I said okay, I'm doing it. So so anyway, I just wanted to mention that to you that way you knew about it. So so well, uh, well let me just let me just say this really quickly. Richard has always been an inspiration to us. Uh, coming up, you know, in El Paso, we didn't have a lot of. Uh, I guess, Latino superheroes that we could look up to. And the first time that we discovered El Gato Negro back in the 90s, we were like, holy crap, man, these guys are doing, you know, what we want to do. You know, Richard's doing what we want to do. We want to do superheroes, but of course, you know, Latino, Hispanic uh, twist. And uh, that inspired us beyond words, you know, and uh, we started doing our own uh, characters that had, you know, that heritage, that had that uh, that whole background mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, Latin America, Hispanic, all that stuff. Um, and so... When, when you said right now, you know, El Valiente is the first Latino hero. No, El Gato Negro is the first Latino <laughs> hero I consider. Uh, El Valiente is just from El Paso. He's the first Latino hero from El Paso, but El okay. Gato inspired El Valiente. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear that. Fuck yeah. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, Ray, Ray, you're fine. This is unrestricted. You can say whatever you want to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can say You can say whatever you want. Fuck, whatever. So... <laughs> So we're, 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 we're that podcast that, you know, we're, we're anti-heroes. People complain about. Yeah. <laughs> mainly, main, mostly me. And that's hilarious. It's like, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm worse than the rest of y'all, but whatever. No, man. We're just, we're just very opinionated. That's all we are. Well, we're, we're opinionated. I got so. a dirty mouth. I don't care. Don't worry. Don't I'm, worry. I've always been that way. We're, and they just eventually we're gave foul up with mouth me. Batman. Foul mouth Batman. <laughs> um, awesome. Ray, I wanted to get started uh, about your your current project you're working on right now. Are you writing in and creating this of the Cryptonals? Yes, I am the writer and the creator of uh, the Cryptonals. Um, I have uh, the artist is also kind of a co-creator as well because he came up with the visuals, of course. And his name is uh, Ruben Dario. He's uh, based out of uh, Juarez, 
okay. Mexico, and he's also part of Six by Six Comics. Nice. I wanted to ask you how you got started on this particular storyline. Uh, what did you do? Well, you know, what did you do like to prepare for it? I mean, what inspired you to do about these uh, these creatures? Well, it's interesting that you asked that because I was just thinking about that the other day, like where I started coming up and brainstorming these whole ideas, and it's kind of it's it's a silly it's a silly uh, I guess point in time, but at the same time, it just developed into this huge thing. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Kentucky Fried Movie. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I actually, yes. I actually tweet the guy. He he tweets to me all the time. The the creator for that, I forgot his oh, name. Oh really? Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. So I was watching Kentucky Fried Movie. This was a few years ago. This was like in uh, twenty. I want to say twenty seventeen. I was watching Kentucky Fried Movie, and I hadn't watched it in a very long time. And I've always been fascinated by cryptids. I've always loved the the you know the whole the research, everything that goes into cryptozoology. I've uh, done my own investigations. Uh, my experiences themselves, you know, were, were crazy. But when I was watching Kentucky Fried Movie this one time, I, I like picked up on something I never picked up before, and that was that one segment that they have. Oh, you know what? It wasn't. I'm sorry. I take it back. It wasn't Kentucky Fried Movie. It was Amazon Women on the Moon. There we go. Okay. Um. So, and Amazon Women on the Moon. There's a segment that they have where it's it's called bullshit or not, and uh, they come out. They come out talking about Jack the Ripper, and they're like, "What if Jack the Ripper was actually the Loch Ness monster?" And they have this this, this scene where the Loch Ness monster comes out in old Victorian England and he's dressed like Jack the Ripper and he's seducing like these prostitutes. And I was like, "Holy crap! Wow!" That just blew my mind for some reason. I don't know why. I had watched the movie so many times before, and I started brainstorming more and more and more. And I was like, "What if you know, like Bigfoot fought?" the rake or what if la llorona fought like a werewolf or what if you know i started coming up with all this crazy crazy ideas and i said yeah you know what what if there was a comic that's never been done before kind of like the x-men but not really more based in horror and yeah. in, uh, science fiction and uh that was kind of like that because i have seen other comics that were cryptid oriented but it always took like a tongue-in-cheek kind of attitude towards them and they were you know comedic but this one I wanted it to be serious. I wanted it to be scary. And the word that I always used, especially with audio, with the artist, I used disturbing. I want it to be disturbing. I want people to look at the, the, the art and be like, oh my God, what the hell is going on there? So I started brainstorming and I started coming up with all these ideas of you know, how cryptids can interact in the world. You know, there was a secret society of cryptids. Uh, everything was interconnected. And then I had to come up with villains. But at the same time, I was thinking, man, there's a lot of stuff going on in Texas. Like, there's so much cryptid lore in Texas. You know, we got Bigfoot, mm-hmm. we got the Dogman, we got the Goatman, La Llorona, of course, Chupacabras, everything is here. So I decided to base it more on cryptids of Texas and the Southwest than across the U.S. And that's where I started the idea from right there. I started, like, gathering all this information and all the cryptids that I was familiar with mm-hmm. and then started diving deeper into it so is this is this story is it like all around texas or is this based in uh el paso it's based in new mexico it's okay based in um i don't want to give away too many spoilers but there's yeah i'm, I'm sure you guys have heard about this place it's, it's sandia new mexico and there's a plateau there uh say uh, in dulce new mexico there's a plateau and the plateau is sacred to the natives in the area but the government has a facility, of course, you know, allegedly, a facility inside the plateau. And I read about this story 
about back in the 70s that there was a firefight between um, the U.S. military and aliens inside the plateau because the aliens mm-hmm. were conducting like these crazy experiments. And there was a whistleblower that came out on YouTube and he was talking about these aliens that came out and they had like like ra- laser weapons and they were disintegrating military soldiers and he was talking about it and then the guy ends up dead and I was like, holy crap. So I started basing it off of that and I'm like, okay, so what really did happen in the 70s? You know, what, what, what occurred that, uh, you know, these aliens fought humans and who would defend the humans? And I'm like, man, you know what? It'd be awesome if I could like tie in the cryptids into this. So I started doing more research, started gathering my, I guess, team of uh, cryptids and inserting them into the situation that, uh, that occurred uh, in, back in the 70s. I just wanted to tell you that I went to Sundia Mountain when I was like seven. Oh man, that's <laughs> awesome! I I live so close by and I've never been. You know, I would you would think I would go. Yeah. Uh, and how was it? What what happened? Well, I went when I was seven, and I think at the time uh, we went up to the mountain because I think we we had we had drove into town and we we bought a bunch of like stuff from uh you know local tribes there, and I bought like I think like a blanket or something and some and some like wrist bracelets and stuff, and so we drove up to Sandia. And my mom didn't let me go any further than the parking lot. She says, no, you got to stay here. I said, but I want to go. And she didn't let me go. And uh, I think my my aunt and my uncle, my dad, and my mom went into the mountain, went up to the mountain. I had to wait in the car. Oh, wow. So, so I, was not, I was not a happy camper. But I did go there, and it, I, I, did, I did feel like it was like um, – to me, it was like a great experience, and I didn't, I didn't get to, you know, go any further than that. But, but I just wanted to mention that really quick. So, oh man, I, I you know, and it, 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 it's sad for me. It's tragic on my end because it's so close by, and I could go, you know, in a day and come back. Yeah. But I've never done it, and I've never convinced the wife to do it either. You know, and maybe it's something that that I should should do uh, before I get further into uh, releasing the book. But. Um, so that story stuck with me, and that's when I started coming up with the idea that maybe the cryptids or, that were around, that have been around, um, made a stand there. They made a stand with the humans. They intervened, and they saved you know, this reality or whatever you want to call it from this intergalactic threat that nobody knew about. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I started doing more research, and I found out that one of my favorite cryptids of all time uh, had been sighted in this area and i was like holy crap how did that happen so apparently back in the 50s and 60s spring hill jack was sighted in new mexico hmm. and i was like oh that's perfect because i, I love spring hill jack so i wanted to integrate that as also and uh so that that was my first cryptid that i put on the team and then after that i went i went down the list like who else is who else is available and i'm like la llorona of course mm-hmm. i gotta put la llorona on the team and that's that's where i started thinking and I've never heard anywhere in any of the uh, you know, fiction, nonfiction, anything that I've ever read or seen as far as movies are concerned, where La Llorona was considered a hero. She's always been this tragic figure right. that murdered her children, and uh, you know she's never been redeemed. And I was like, you know what? That has to change. So I took La Llorona, and I gave her this backstory that uh, coincides with everything that happened to her and gave her a reason for being the way that she was. And that's another cryptid that I put on there. So for the first time ever in, in the comic, La Llorona is featured as an actual hero. Um, so I don't want to give away too much about how that's done either, but right, right. I went down the list after that, you know, and I started thinking about Texas. You know, of course, you got to have the goat man from Denton. You got to throw him in there some way, somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here in El Paso, there is a little suburb 
uh, called San Elisario, Texas, and uh, there is a legend of a man dog. Not to be confused with the dog man, there's only one man dog. And the man dog apparently is a cursed Texas ranger that died during the salt wars uh, back in the, 80, in the 1880s and was cursed to roam the earth like a dog, never finding his place. And uh, if you go to San Elisario at certain times of night, supposedly, allegedly, you will see this uh, Texas ranger walking around in a, in a long trench coat with the head of a dog. And I was like, wow, that's creepy. Hmm. So I gave him a, a backstory. I threw him in there. And then uh, I started thinking, well, what else? What was the intergalactic threat? What happened in Sandia? And I had to have uh, some sort of, uh, of connection to that. And uh, I always, I'll always love Cthulhu. So I threw Cthulhu in there. But in this case, he's reduced to a child. So he's an elder god that's trapped in ch- inside a child's body. So we call him Kid Cthulhu. And um, he's part of the Cryptonal team as well. And last but not least, and this is inspiration, of course, you know, from, uh, you know, reading like El Gato, reading all these Latino heroes that I discovered back in the 90s, we have Quetzalcoatl which is a reincarnation of the feathered serpent and mm. she's, and it's a, she, and she's part of the team as well. So that's how I came up with the, the core team uh, for the book. Wow. That's, that's, you know, that's, I never even thought of doing something like that. And I, and I, and I think about stories all the time and um, man, um, I, I just wanted to tell you also, I'm really digging the art. Um, I'm, I'm digging it completely. Cause like I'm, I'm really visual. Cause I, I read, I, myself, I read a ton of comics. I got like 6,000 comics, um, right now. Is that all? You got to, you got to. <laughs> so, so I, I'm really digging the art. I, cause like, I know, I know you're not, you, you, you kind of gave me like a, a, like a sneak peek of, you know, uh, up like a three, four panels and I was looking at it mm-hmm. and I won't give it away or nothing, but, uh, but I was just saying, I, I think that whenever you look at the artwork, something like this, and you haven't put like you know letters or, or um, any any kind of reading stuff in it, just the mm-hmm. panels by themselves can tell the story. And I and I'm following the story without even like reading anything. And it's like I really really love that. And so it's very it's very smooth. And I and I whenever it comes out, I I, I want to be like one of the very very first ones to buy it. So because I'm nice. I'm really digging it a lot, man. I just want you to know that. I'm thanking you so much on that. I'm glad we've got, we've gotten a lot of uh, positive reaction for this, and I'm really really excited. We're getting ready to launch the campaign, uh, hopefully by mid-April. We have we had a little uh, setback because we had another book that uh, we have to deliver first. Uh, it's called Undead Border. It's about zombies on the border, using zombies as a metaphor uh, for everything that's going on on the border. Um, and we just got the proofs back for that book, so we're going to be fulfilling that campaign in the next uh, coming weeks. And as soon as we're done with that one, we're going to launch the Cryptonals. And of course, I'm going to let you know, hopefully I can be back on your show just to plug it, you know, that it's out. Absolutely. Uh, but I'll send you all that information as well. So, um, but yeah, man, I mean, I've always loved this genre. I've always loved, uh, you know, comics, of course, but uh, the cryptozoology aspect of it has always fascinated me, um, especially like, you know, things that I've witnessed myself. Um, and, and before I get any further, I gotta, I gotta present to you the villains. Cause of course, you know, you gotta have a villain mm-hmm. in the story. And, uh, I started thinking like, well, if the cryptids are like this powerful, what type of villain would they face? And, uh, I came up with Tulpas and I'm sure you guys know what, what Tulpas are, right? Yeah. 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 So 
the most popular topa that I could come up with right now is, of course, the Slenderman. That's the only right. that's the top one that I, that I could come up with. But of course, the Slenderman is trademarked, so I couldn't use it right. per se. So I, I started doing some re- research, and of course, in uh, you know Mexican culture, there is this thing called el niango, and el niango is pretty much the Slenderman. Um, so he's the main villain of the criminal. He's the one that they have to face. And uh, what Slenderman has done, and this is gonna, I think that you're gonna enjoy this. What the Slenderman has done is that he's enthralled Bigfoot. So he has Bigfoot as a thrall, and he's doing the dirty work for the Slenderman. So there's been all these Bigfoot attacks that have been going <laughs> on, and uh, the Slenderman is controlling. I'm, I'm gonna stop saying that. Nyango. Nyango is controlling them. Right. And when he's and when he's done with the Bigfoot, he turns them into rakes. And then the rakes proceed to continue wrecking havoc because the Bigfoot, I think, you know, naturally a Bigfoot is not, um, you know, a, a violent animal. It's kind of like a gentle animal. And uh, I have to so, agree with you. I have to agree with you there. So, mm-hmm. so the Thunder Man would take this animal or this, you know, I don't know what, where you guys are on the fence in that. I always say animal, but, you know, it might be a, it's a sentient being. He takes these, uh, you know, the sentient beings and turns them into these monsters, which is even more horrifying to them. And then once he's done with them, they turn into rape. And then on top of that, the Bigfoot starts stealing children and the you know, Nyango turns them into black-eyed kids, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the modern version of Nosferatu's. Um, you know, doing the mm-hmm. research and reading all the black-eyed kids stories and stuff like that. Um, so that's his little army that he has in order to try and get a foothold in this reality. And without giving away too much, um, finish what has had already begun, you know, many many years ago. I, I love the bad I, guys. I'm liking it, man. That's that sounds that sounds good. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's right yeah, up. That's, uh, that's right up our alley, right? Right, yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, <laughs> wow. I, I'm speechless on that. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you guys are liking it. That's good. I'm glad. And then and it's. It's something that I wanted to bring some sort of originality to the genre because, of course, you know, we're all, you know, love superheroes and we love monsters. And, you know, how could I combine the two and make it like a horror comic, um, you know, and give you something new, something that's never been seen before. And so far, that's what everyone says. Like, well, wow, I never thought about it like that. I've never seen that before. So I'm hoping that this really, really becomes, you know, popular and, and people get real, like, behind it. So. I don't think that, and, and this is just my opinion, I, I could be wrong. I don't think there's that many people that do cryptid books are actually researchers or investigators. So I know, I know I've, I've talked to you like in the past and, or like traded like messages with you. And I listened to another podcast. You're uh, like a investigator, a paranormal investigator, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So I don't think there's very many people writing or creating comic books that actually do the work. And so I know um, Proof came out, I think, uh, like six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was a story about a Bigfoot that was a federal investigator or something. No, no, no. I think it was, uh, I think it was Image Comics. And yeah, it was the Image. Mm-hmm. So the guy, the, the creator and the writer of that one wrote to me and another researcher and asked us our opinion about it. And we, we told him what we thought about what a Bigfoot is and stuff like that. And he actually let me write like a little small piece in the very end of his comic. It was editor section. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that's about about the only thing I've ever gotten from this guy. But uh, it didn't. That comic didn't last too long. So I think it went like I don't know twenty something issues, and then it stopped. So, um, but 
but I'm glad that someone that investigates and researches is actually doing this. So it's, it's kind of cool. Well, I, I thank you for saying that. That's awesome. Yeah. I put, I've tried my hardest to, to get all the facts straight to make sure that it's presented in a way where it's not only based in reality, but of course, you know, there's that suspension of disbelief, like, Oh shit, maybe this could happen. Um, so that people get really drawn into it and, and they take away more, uh, you know, they take the curiosity away with them and they want to continue doing the research. They want to continue learning more yeah. about these creatures. You know? Awesome. Good stuff, man. Uh, I can't wait till it comes out, man. So, um, yeah. are you going, are you, are you going to be doing like round, are you going to be doing rounds at uh, comic book conventions and stuff whenever like stuff yeah. opens up? Yes, definitely. Once it opens up, uh, six by six, uh, the group that I'm with, the faction or whatever, uh, we have a lot of books. Uh, that we've been working on, a lot of books that are, I guess, just sitting on the shelf, you know, uh, that we need to get out. So it's not just not just the crypto that's going to come out, but a bunch of other variety of, uh, of uh, graphic novels, comics, whatever you want to call them, that are going to be presented once everything opens up again, of course. Since I kind of touched on a little bit about you being paranormal investigator, um, anything else you want to talk about about the comic? Uh, if we want to, if you want to move on to that, that's. Um, the only thing I want to say is, uh, right now the comic book is on Indiegogo. It's in pre-campaign mode. Okay. Um, and we, we are offering a free enamel pin of a Wendigo skull, uh, when you pre, uh, sign up for the, for the campaign, for the book. Okay. Once the campaign goes live and you purchase the book, those that have signed up before the campaign launches will receive that free enamel pin. Okay. So that's kind of like a perk, a perk that we're offering. And you can find that on Indiegogo at whenever whenever we're done here uh i'll get all the the links for you and on i'll load it on to the uh to the podcast so awesome appreciate it so awesome that's that's good stuff um okay so let's uh let's jump right into uh some of your paranormal stuff all right have you had any any cryptid stuff like you know bigfoot stuff or the biggest cryptid or the 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 thing that that got me all interested in all of this was la llorona Okay. I had an experience with La Llorona, and that changed me completely forever. And I was 12 years old when it happened, and I started doing the research after that, like trying to get more into that whole paranormal type, cryptid type of knowledge that I wanted to have. Mm. Um, and I told this story. I've told this story a lot of times, so I mean, I don't know if you guys want to hear it. <laughs> of course, because I know I'm sure I'm sure our listeners want to want to listen to the story because. Uh, I know I want to. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. So it, it happened It happened when I was 12 years old, uh-huh. um, living in El Paso. It's a border town, of course. You know, the Rio Grande is practically right there. I could throw a rock and, and hit uh, the Rio Grande in Mexico. That's how close we are. And my sister at, uh, lived in the section, and this is before, you know, the 90s hit and everything started getting all urban. Um, she lived in a section of, of El Paso that was uh, kind of, off to the side, like not really very, very urban. Uh, it was called Moon City. Now, Moon City was a community of people that kind of just set up their own houses. They built them from scratch, and they lived kind of segregated away from from the main city of El Paso. Um, so, the only way to get any sort of TV out there, and I'm going to date my age by saying this, but the only way to get any sort of entertainment, any TV out there, was to get a satellite dish. Uh, and this is before like direct TV and all that stuff. The and big my brother-in-law, one. the big one, the, <laughs> the big exactly. ones that the you big had, ones that had to turn like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
So if you're familiar with that, with that type of, of technology, you know that during that time, if you wanted to watch a certain program, you'd have to turn the satellite at mm-hmm. a certain time to, to get that reception. So my brother-in-law told me about the satellite, and he's like, hey, Raymond, do you want to come over this weekend and uh, spend the night? And if you want, we can watch the Playboy channel. Oh, wow, I'm 12 years old, and I get to watch the Playboy channel. Hell yeah. I'm in. On my way now. I'm right, I'm there, I'm there. And um, so my sister made the arrangements. She told my parents I was going over to watch, you know, whatever. She didn't tell them the truth, of course, and we went. And uh, the way that the house was set up, and this is, this is, part of the story so I'm going to explain to you the way that the house was set up was my brother-in-law lived in the garage that was attached to the main house where her, his mom lived which was my sister-in-law's mother-in-law uh, or my sister's mother-in-law so the garage was a perfect square like a perfect square and it was attached and in the front you would drive up into the driveway and there was a you know, main front of the garage was a cinder block and in the middle was this huge oak door. Like the door was at least maybe five or six inches thick. It was huge. Um, and the way my brother had set it up, because he's the one that built the, the addition to the, to the house, uh, was as soon as you walked in through that door, immediately to your left, there was another door that led into the backyard where the dogs were, you know, the, the backyard stuff. Um, immediately in front of you was the living room. And it was kind of like a shotgun build. You know, everything just went to the back. Um, so immediately was the living room. There was a couch directly in front of you and a couch off to your right-hand side. And there was a doorway on the left that led into the kitchen and the kitchen led to the back. And that was where the bedroom was. And, uh, behind, uh, the bedroom on the outside, there was a small, like little walk area. And behind that, there was a wall and a canal and there was nothing but field after that. It was an irrigation canal. And there was nothing but fields. It was like uh, if they had chile and cotton and stuff like that. So I went, uh, you know, I had gone to my sister's house before. I knew the setup. Showed up. Uh, we're hanging out. My sister's kids, my, my nephews and nieces, they, uh, you know, they go to bed early. My brother-in-law and I made pizzas. We're sitting there in the living room with my sister. He was drinking the beer. I was drinking my Dr. Pepper. And uh, it got it started getting later, and the only way to watch the Playboy channel was to wait until midnight and to turn the satellite at that time. That's when it came on. Um, so we waited and we waited and waited, and finally my sister's like, "You know what? I'm done. I'm going to sleep. You guys can do whatever you want." And she took off, and uh, my brother and I was like, "All right, here it comes." You know, we turned it on, set it up, and started watching it. Where you know I was enthralled. I got to see boobies at 12 years old. I was up uh, after hours. You know, all this stuff. Um, but I guess, you know, after a while, I kind of passed out. I passed out on the couch, and I was um, against the wall, and my brother-in-law was on the other couch, and he passed out as well. So I'm asleep, and all of a sudden, I hear loud banging on that door. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. You know, I hear it, like, oh, crap. And I, it woke me up. It was so loud. And when I woke up, I noticed that the dogs were going crazy. They were barking mad. And uh, I sat up, and I didn't bother looking to where my brother-in-law was. I just sat up thinking that he had locked himself out. So I got up and I started walking towards the door and the dogs are going crazy. And uh, as soon as I got to the door, my brother-in-law sat up from the couch. He like bolted up and he's like, whoa, 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 stop. Don't open the door. And I'm like, what the hell? And as I turned to look at him, he said, that's La Llorona. Don't open the door. If you open the door, she's going to come in here and take us all. And it registered in my head, but I didn't, 
it, I couldn't believe it. And as I turned to look at the door, that's when I heard it. And I can't describe the sound. It's just like this, this sound of someone crying in utter despair, like they've lost everything in their life. Um, you know, I can't even, I can't even describe it. A and woman's dog, voice? Uh, yes, it, it, was a, it was a woman's voice, a woman's cry for help. And it was, ah, you know, it was just, it was super loud. The dogs shut up. The dogs quit barking and they started whimpering. And I'm standing there by the door and I had this overwhelming compulsion to open the door. And I couldn't, I, I was like, what is behind the door? I wasn't so much scared as I was curious as to what it was because mm -hmm. I had never mm -hmm. heard anything like that before. And my brother-in-law sitting there and he's like, come back, you know, come back over here. And I, I just, I was compelled. I wanted to open that door. I could not stop myself. And I remember, I even to this day, I get chills just thinking about it because I had my hand on the, on the handle mm -hmm. to, to open it. And this thing is just like, right there it's yelling it's screaming but the thing that that like snapped me out of it the thing that scared the crap out of me and like even even right now i'm thinking about it um the thing that scared me was it cried and when it, it stopped crying it took a breath it took a breath and it sounded like someone trying to breathe underwater you could hear the gurgling like <clears throat> you know like i can't even like reenact that that sound and that's what scared me. And to this day, I still remember that sound, like trying to breathe desperately underwater. And and I was like, man, what is that? And and I was, I was so terrified, but at the same time, so excited and and curious to see it. I wanted to see it. And it took everything I had to let go of that door and go back and sit down uh, on the couch. And I was sitting there, and the thing kept going, and it seemed like forever. And my sister came out of the bad uh, bedroom. And she's standing there in the doorway and she's like, oh, it's happening again. And I'm like, what do you mean again? What are you talking about again? Like, you guys live with this? Like, how can you possibly live with this? And it seemed like forever and finally the thing stopped. And when it stopped, that's the, the freaky part that I, I think was the freaky part. Um, it stopped and there was this immense, intense uh, light source that came in between the cracks in the cinder blocks and underneath the door. And the only way I can describe it is sunlight. That's the intensity that it had. It was blinding. And it came in and it illuminated everything inside the room, underneath the cracks of the cinder blocks, underneath the door. And then just like that, it faded. And it didn't turn off like, you know, just flick off a light. It kind of faded away. And it went away. And as soon as it went away, the dog started barking again. And everything seemed to be animated again. Like everything was happening all over again. And my sister was sitting there with my brother-in-law. And I looked at them, and I was like, what the hell just happened? What the hell was that? And he's like, don't worry about it. We'll just we'll talk about it some other time. Let's go back to sleep. Don't worry about it. Don't give it any attention. Just go to sleep. Hmm. And, uh, and I did. You know, I listened to him, and I did. But I, I was very troubled sleep. And the next day when I woke up, I asked him again, like, what happened? What, what, did, we did, we did experience, what did we experience last night? What's going on? And uh, they were like, don't worry about it, man. You know, we'll talk about it some other time. Just leave it alone. That's what we always do. Just leave it alone. Don't give it any, any, uh, you know, attention. Like, okay, fine. And, uh, you know, the rest of the weekend kind of normalized after that. Everything kind of like sped up again. I went back home, but it always weighed on my mind. Like, what did I see? What uh, did I experience? And years later, when I was 18, I asked them. 
and that's how long it took me before I, I had another opportunity to get them uh, to talk about it. And they were like, it's La Llorona. It's what we consider La Llorona to be because of what it, what it did, you know, how it screamed, how it cried, how, it, how we reacted to it, how the dog shot up, shut up and everything like that. And my sister went on to tell me that she had actually seen her in the backyard one time uh, and that she looked like a, a very um, like dirty Dirty uh, woman, a woman that was wearing a very dirty set of clothes, like tattered, rolling around the dirt, like, uh, like tattered, right? Mm-hmm. And that her eyes were very sunken, almost like, like uh, you know, eyeless to that point. But you could see like wrinkles around the edges where it appeared that she had been crying. Uh, but she had dirty matted hair and everything. And uh, I started putting the pieces together. I started remembering a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. that had happened during that time and over the years. And I remember that my, my brother and my sister, my brother-in-law and my sister were very much into the occult. And they had a lot of items in the house that now, looking back, were occult items. They had books. They had books I had never seen before. That's the first time that I read, you know, the Necronomicon without actually knowing what it was, uh, and the Satanic Bible as well. They had those pieces of uh, occult literature and then it started making more sense. Like, what? Maybe it wasn't La Llorona, but maybe it was. Maybe it was a manifestation of something that they had created. I don't, I, you know, to me, it makes sense. But, you know, I tell other people and they're like, well, what are you talking about? And, um, and that's, that's my experience that right, right there. That's, the, that's like the main gist of, of what, I, what I saw and what I felt. I have a couple of questions. Um, yes, yes. Whenever, they, whenever you had the experience, was it, was it at 3 a.m.? And that's the thing. I don't remember. I want to say it was because mm-hmm. it was after I passed out after watching TV. Okay. But I don't remember the time. So it might have been after, you know, after 2 a.m. or something like that. Yeah. So it is a possibility. Um, and the other thing I was kind of thinking, and Ash, you could chime in on this, but um, maybe the, the house or the grounds is tied in to her visiting there. I know the way you, your way you were telling the story that your sister said, oh, it's happening again. So it must happen like a couple times more where they were just used to it and just, you know, choose to ignore it or not, you know, invited in. Um, so I'm kind of thinking that either like you were saying about your family was at a, uh, in a, about the occults and stuff, but I'm kind of thinking that either it it's tied into that canal or that property or that house. Ash, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Those could be possible. It's just like maybe they, understood what they needed to do because they knew about things like that too, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I couldn't really say yeah. his heart cause you know, I don't know the history of yeah. everything down there or where it was or anything like that. That's the only thing I could think of. But, just, I mean, there's, there's plenty of possibilities. Yeah. I was thinking, I just putting on my thinking hat. Steven, yeah. you got anything on that or. Um, yeah, I was, I was thinking of like the same thing with Ash. Like it could be a mixture of both. Uh, Ray, did did it happen again? Like, or anything else weird happen? If you, like, whenever you visited there again, or anything like that. The, the only thing that I remember happening when I would go visit was uh, after dark, they would tell me to come inside. Do not go outside after dark. Um, don't go into the front yard. Don't go into the backyard. Next to their house, there there wasn't any buildings built yet. It was a small community. So there was, uh, you know, the road ended, and then after that, there was nothing but uh, like irrigation fields and stuff like that. Now I went, I went further, you know, to the investigation and started doing my own research later on, and uh, I realized that uh, 
across the field and up, there was like kind of a little plateau. And on top of that plateau, there was uh, an amusement park here in El Paso that was very popular. It was called Magic Landing. And uh, that's off. That's off. That's off Highway 10, right? Yes, exactly. You could see Magic Landing from their house. And once again, during the research, they, the, I went to find out that in that little section below Magic Landing, there was a copse of woods, and there was a lot of rituals that would happen in those woods. There was uh, you know, sacrifices, like animal sacrifices. You would find, you know, uh, burnt out areas where they had, uh, uh, I guess, uh, bonfires and stuff like that. But my, my sister and my sister and my brother and I were very adamant on the fact that I shouldn't be out after dark. And that kind of started making sense because maybe they knew yeah. that this was going on back then and they wanted to you know, keep it hush-hush or whatever. Maybe they knew people that were involved in it. Uh, my sister and my brother and I have passed away mm. uh, you know, in, in the past few years, so I don't have any way to, uh, you know, to match everything up as far as the timelines are concerned. Yeah. But uh, this is all from what I remember experiencing growing up and, and talking to Um. I'm kind of curious, like after the show, I'd like to talk to you and uh, maybe get the address and maybe I could, I don't know. I'm just curious about knowing more about Definitely. this property. So I don't yes, know, yes, that's yes. just me. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's actually, that's actually an awesome story that got you started. And did you, did you go home and like uh, tell your parents at all about this or? I, I told my parents and see, that's another thing too. I told my parents and they were like, ah, you know. You don't even know what you're talking about, you know, and stuff like that. Now, this is this is the crazy part. This is where it starts getting even more intense. Um, because after that happened and I went back home, I feel now uh, that something attached itself to me because mm-hmm. I started experiencing a lot of things at my house. And this is where it gets, you know, you just bear with me. Just, just hear me out. Sure. But um, my parents... Um, were not, uh, I guess, compatible. You know, my parents should have gone divorced a very, very long time ago and lived separate lives and they would have been happy people. But no, they decided to do the, the Mexican thing and stick it out for the kids and everybody else suffered for it. So I was the only one that was left at the house and I had to deal with my parents, you know, just not liking each other. So there was a lot of negativity in that home and that negativity wouldn't go anywhere. It would just sit there in the house and you could feel it walking into the house. Um, and I started observing that there were certain things that were happening inside the house and outside the house as well over the years. Um, my friends were afraid to go pick me up after, after dark. They wouldn't step into the front yard after dark because they would see shadow people. And uh, I started seeing them as well. My wife, when we were living there with my parents, she started seeing them. The hat man made an appearance as well. It was crazy. Like, and, and I tell, I tell the story to everybody and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And, uh, then they go, you know, they go back and they start thinking about it. I'm like, wait a minute. I did see something at the house this one time. I have this one friend that, uh, wouldn't, will not set foot at my parents' house because of what he experienced as well. Um, and this was like years later, this was after I had gotten married and we were still living there with my parents. Um, but I started experiencing stuff like that, and I would hear chains outside outside my room, outside my window. Um, I would hear like voices outside, but the shadow people were the ones that took the case because they would follow my mother uh, up and down the hallway. Uh, they would stand in the corners; you could see them. And my dad would call them bultos, bultos negros, which mm-hmm. is like you know, a black form. Um, 
and uh, my parent, my, my dad has passed away, but my mom is still, still around. And when I try to talk to her about it, she just kind of dismisses me immediately. Like she doesn't want anything to do with it. You know, she kind of like does the sign of the cross. She doesn't want anything to do with it. But um, there were certain things that I remember growing up that had happened uh, that kind of like tie, ties everything together once again. That's why I feel that whatever I experienced at 12 kind of attached itself to me and followed me back home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, aside from the shadow people, there would be strange occurrences. This one time um, I found a dead raven in the backyard and it had been strangled with a, a red ribbon around its neck. Like it had it, like it, you know, someone had murdered it. And uh, I went and I told my mother about it. And I remember I was about uh, 16, more or less, because I had just gotten my driver's permit. And uh, she told me exactly what to do with it. She said, okay, you found this thing. I want you to take it, put it in a can, go by a ri- the river or go by somewhere where there's running water, a canal, doesn't matter, burn it, and then throw it in the water. Throw everything in the water and leave it there. And I remember, you know, being a 16-year-old, I was like, esta señora está loca, whatever, you know. But you know, I'm going to do what my mom said. But instead of going and doing exactly what she said, I did the teenage thing and, did, and half-assed it and kind of did whatever. And I went and I took the, the, the raven, I put it in a can, I went to the edge of the, the canal that I found, and I threw it in the water. I didn't bother burning it. I just threw it in the water. And um, after I did that, um, things started intensifying around the house, like uh, more shadow people would show up. I would look in the backyard in the middle of the night, and you could see them walking around. I, I call it swarming, like sharks. They would be moving around in the backyard like that. You could see them going over the wall, like venom. That's the only way I can describe them. They move kind of like venom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, sure you guys, I'm sure you guys have seen the, the Ghost of Carmel, Maine, the YouTube channel. I think I've, I've, I don't maybe know the name of it, but I think I have seen it. It's uh, called the Lamb House, I think. And uh, this man has been documenting the shadow people that live inside his house. And when I first saw it, when my wife and I first saw it, we're like, holy crap, that's exactly what we would see. These things are in the, in the corners and they move like venom and they move really fast. And um, she experienced it as well. And, and it scared the crap out of her when, when she was living there. But it all started, or rather started intensifying when that raven appeared. So I don't know if my parents were into some shit that I don't know about, and uh, and that this is a fallout from it as well. You know? Yeah, it sounds like some, some bruja stuff. That's what it sounds like to me. Exactly, exactly. So, and, uh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, that's, that's pretty intense, and, like, your parents saw it too, and your mom, and they just, like, dismissed it. And um, I mean, because, like, if they were, if you were getting more stuff, did your mom like question you about it, whether whether you did that procedure or not, or correct or not, or what? Yeah, she she asked me like, did you go and did you do what you needed to do? You know what I asked you to do, and I'm like, yeah, 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 of course. You know, it's like like clicking uh, like in Big Trouble Little China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, in in uh, Army of the Darkness. Yeah, I said the words. I said the words. I know what's going on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I think I messed up by not doing exactly what she told me to do because she was onto something. She knew something was going on. Yeah. Um, I also remember her taking me with her to see a santera uh, when I was like 15. Um, she was always deathly afraid of my father leaving her. She always accused him of uh, having like other other women in his life. My father was very dedicated to her. Really, really loved her. My mother, on the other hand, didn't love my father as much as he did. 
And uh, I think that also came into play with, uh, she had some mental issues as well. And uh, she went to the Santera uh, when I was 15. I went with her and the Santera told her, what you need to do is you need to get, you know, you need to bind him to you. So you need to get a piece of his clothing and make a little doll and then leave it somewhere in the house where he can't find it. And that way he'll never stray, he'll never go anywhere. And I remember that, that experience. I remember there being there with him. And then years later, many, many, many years later, I was in my 20s, I accidentally came upon uh-uh. this little doll inside the house that was re- that was kind of like a little man, and I undid it, and it was my dad's underwear. I was like, what the hell? It was clean. It was clean. But it was my dad's underwear, and I was like, <laughs> you know, what the hell, man? So what was this lady into? You know, my mom was very dedicated to the church. She would go. She was dedicated to both churches. My brother always used to make fun of her because she would go to the Christian church in the morning and she would go to the Catholic church in the afternoon. Wow. And um, my brother was always making fun of her. Like, yeah, she just wants to have all her bases covered, you know, so she can get into heaven. And stuff. And like, wow. It sounds like she really? did. It sounds like she did. All around. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing so, wrong with you know, that, man. <laughs> true. So, you know, all those experiences culminated in, in a bunch of craziness that was going on. In uh, in the house and outside the house as well. Wow, that's um, the underwear thing. And uh, did you did you did you guys go across the border to go to this? Whenever, whenever. Uh, yes. Okay, that's. I was kind of curious on that. Yeah, my parents would go um, visit, you know, family in, in the border, uh, across the border and stuff. Um, I remember uh, going with them a few times. They would go up to where. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with El Paso, but there's a mountain on the, the Juarez side, and it says De La Biblia or something like that. Um, and that's where they would go visit my, my aunt and stuff like that, all the way up in La Tierra, all the way up there. And there was always like, I don't know, my parents always just, this, this, it seemed like there was always some sort of mystery to everything that they did. That, m- was like question, that mountain, it's, it's still over, it's over there close to that, that amusement park, right? Um, it's across. Uh, it's on the Juarez side, uh, right. the La Biblia mountain. But the, the amusement park, the Magic Landing, um, ha- was uh, demolished many, many years ago. It's like a trailer warehouse now. Okay. But um, but I, can, I will I'll send you the information when we're off, so you can investigate okay. yourself. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of curious on trying to find out you know information. That's just that's just how I am, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good way to be. I mean that's. That's why we love what we do, right? Because we mm-hmm. find out all this stuff and yeah. you know, try to see all the, put all the pieces together. So. Yeah, you know, being a, a Bigfoot researcher for like, you know, 10 years, and then I was like a case director for a paranormal group for like six. So, I'm, man, it's, it's, it's just like in my blood to, to find out what's going on and try to help people. So, I don't know. That's just how I am. See, and, and, and I'm glad that you're bringing that up because I have a question for you. Yes. Um, and uh, hopefully you can shed some more light into this or maybe you can do some research on your end and talk to people that you know. So a few weeks ago, actually, no, a few months ago, this was in October, I was listening to uh, Taxwatch Chronicles. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, what, I was, what, I was Wes, listening. yeah, I know, I know Wes. Yeah. So I was listening to Wes, and um, he played this one, uh, I guess, recording that he had of someone that had called in talking about um, a Bigfoot incident that happened uh, near Midland or something like that. And he made reference to an incident that happened in El Paso. And, I, and that immediately caught my attention. I was like, what? What's going on? Um, 
And what happened in El Paso was apparently there was a SWAT team that was doing exercises out in Waco tanks. And I know exactly where oh. that is. It's, it's like a training area. And the SWAT team was doing exercises. And after they were done, they were coming back into El Paso, but they were going to Horizon. And they ran into this Bigfoot, this desert ape. They ran into him over there. And that the thing rushed their vehicle. And they were so afraid. And these are SWAT team guys. And they were so afraid. Uh, they were braced for, like, impact. But the thing kind of, like, swerved off to the side and ran into the desert. Mm-hmm. And I've been curious about that ever since. Because I know about the Horizon City monster. You know, there's a there's a desert ape that uh, the people were seeing in Horizon in El Paso. And I've read up the research on that, you know, and, and come to my own conclusions about that. But this was the first time that I ever heard about something uh, this intense happening in El Paso that is actually attacked. Um, like, uh, I would say that this is it's possible that maybe this this Bigfoot came over from New Mexico and just like was wandering. And um, but I, I I have heard other stories. I talked to this one dude one time. Uh, he was a, a telephone. Uh, he worked for a telephone company out in East Texas, over by the Louisiana border, and he was going up. He was going up poles in uh, this like this, you know, wooded area. And as he was going up the pole, you know, making uh, uh, repairs, rocks were being thrown at him, and he was trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And like eventually, he come, you know, he looks around, and then there's a Bigfoot, you know, standing like in the on on the tree line throwing rocks at him. So he freaked out, came down the pole. And this Bigfoot was watching him, and he ran to his vehicle. The Bigfoot ran to the vehicle, too. Uh, oh, wow. he, he started the vehicle up and then took off, and this Bigfoot just mirrored the car. Like, it wasn't trying to hit him or attack, you know, grab him or anything. It just made yeah. it made him leave the area. So he left, and he didn't go back. And so uh, I asked him to go on the record. He did not want to. Um, but this story that you're telling me about Wes talking about it, that makes sense of a, of a Bigfoot, you know, charging a car, making them leave to get them out of there and then taking off. So it makes sense. Oh man. See, and when I started doing more research into that story, I couldn't find, uh, who had, uh, called in originally. Yeah. To talk about this, but I started asking questions like some of the people that I knew that worked in Waco tanks, some of the Rangers, you know, started remembering stuff that they had told me. And I remember them telling me a story about, uh, cave painting, uh, these pictographs that were out in Waco Tanks, and that's why Waco Tanks is so, right. I guess, um, like the, the guarded, I guess you could say, because there's these pictographs out there mm-hmm. that show, you know, this thing. And he, they had told me, like, yeah, these things have been out here, they're guardians, you know, and right away when he said that, they're guardians, I'm like, okay, I know that, you know, I know what he's talking about, um, that the, the natives in the area considered them uh, sacred. Because they're they live in the desert, they live harmonious. As long as you don't mess with them, they won't mess with you. Right. They live in the cave systems that are in Waco tanks, and and that was it. And uh, you know, a lot of that area out there is not uh, really I guess, uh, conducive. Yeah, exactly. To go out there and look. Um, so that kind of made sense to me as well. And what you're telling me now, that makes even more sense. Um, if this thing was out there. Yeah, um, I would. I don't ever like to push this group, but I would say go on uh, bfro.net. They have they have like the biggest Bigfoot database that you can find. Like, granted, there's like there's not going to be every incident like in there, but if you look up if you look up Texas, look up your county, you might be able to find it in there. You might might not, or you might find something that's related to it or something close to it. So I would I would do that. I would check that out um, because. Um, you know, every time there's like one Bigfoot sightings, there's probably like ten that doesn't get 
you know, reported at all. So oh, wow. it, it's possible that these guys didn't go on anywhere and do it, but you know, you could go on there and maybe find it. I don't know. No, definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. Thanks for the information. I've just been curious about that ever since I heard about him. It just blew my mind. I was like, what the hell? And yeah, I, I, I know a lots of Bigfoot people. I know a lots of Bigfoot researchers. I know a lots of groups and I have never heard of that story. So that's just me. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the authority on, on stories, but, mm-hmm. but I would, I, I would get a, I get whiff of stories constantly and I hear about them on different chats and different emails and, and, you know, just different stuff. So, but I would, I would like research that just to, and I'm probably going to research that as well too. So. Yeah, if, if you get a chance to look into it, especially the sightings that were going on in the late 80s and early 90s yeah. uh, up of Horizon, the Horizon uh, City Monster is what they called it. Wow. Um, this, this thing was out there, and it was uh, going into the country club area, and they had a little private lake. And uh, back then, Horizon wasn't as populated as it, as it is now. So that was the only area in Horizon that had, like, you know, a lake that had water. Uh, and it had ducks, and the reason that people got all nervous was because they caught this thing going into the little area and eating the ducks out of mm. the lake. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And I started doing more research into it, and people were getting their their uh, pets stolen or supposedly stolen, you know. And then they find them later on, or what was left of them, and uh, we started like you know, putting the pieces together and saying that it was this rising to the monster. Um, I was just gonna say that. Um... I just look. I just typed it up. I just typed up Horizon City Monster on on um, Google, and it pulled up um, a 2003, July 31st, 2003. Cecilia Montez saw a creature seven foot tall uh, on East Lake Boulevard mm-hmm. da- on Daring Road. Oh, I know exactly where that is. I saw a big gorilla using a walking toward the desert. Montez said, "Wow." Okay, I'm 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 gonna start checking that out now. So. <laughs> yeah, check it out. You know, you know what? What kind of what kind of sucks now is that uh, East Lake is super saturated with people now. Yeah, that whole area used to be very very empty, like that in mm-hmm. the desert. But now it's like you can't you know you can't go anywhere without hitting a house or hitting a business and people and cars everywhere. Darrington Road is the same way now, and it kind of sucks because I think they're pushing yeah. these guys out further into the desert. Wow, that's that's intriguing. <laughs> Ray, we, we'll probably have you on again. <laughs> no, no worries, man. I'm, I'm good whenever you're ready. <laughs> okay, um, we're uh, we're at an hour now, so I just wanted to say, uh, is there anything that you wanna you wanna talk about, like um, like link wise, like your Facebook, your you wanna push that right now, your Twitter, your in, your Instagram, anything like that? Sure, no problem. It's uh, cryptonodes across all the uh, all the social medias: Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and on on TikTok. Uh, I go under cryptonodes as well. Uh, I've been doing the TikTok thing for for a while now. I've been I've been getting quite a few people, so I've just been doing sixty second spots and stuff. And I did talk about La Llorona on a different program. Uh, I didn't go as in, in depth as I did with you, so I added some more information to that. Sweet. Uh, so if you guys, you know, get a chance to check out my, my TikTok as well. Okay. But uh, yeah, man, whenever whenever you want to have me back on, I'll be happy to do it, especially when the comic comes out. Oh yes. And uh, mm-hmm. we can we can talk about it. I'll send you a copy, man. So check it out. Um, you guys have any any last questions for Ray? Or uh, Ray, I was, one question that um, on the Kryptonals, are you going to? Uh, is this going to be like a like a series thing that you want to do, or is it just Good like question. a graphic novel? 
I, originally I wanted it to be a series, but then I'm like, you know what? I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait that long. I'm, I got so excited about doing the project that we're just going to mm-hmm. compress everything into one graphic novel, one shot, one kill. You get all the story. It's going to be about 120 plus pages of that artwork right. that you saw. So it's going to be pretty big. Nice. Awesome. Nice. And and I know you don't want to spoil anything, but are you going to mention anything or introduce uh, El Kukui? Oh, dude, everyone's been talking about that. Like, <laughs> are you going to put the Kukui? Is the Kukui in there? And I'm like, I'm going to make mention of it as well. Uh, everyone's like asking about the Kukui, the Mothman, you know, all these other cryptids. Um, I'm trying to shove as many cryptids as I can into this story because of my love of the of the, uh, you know, the cryptozoology genre. Um I, I managed to convince Dario to even put a jackalope in there. So he, it, it's in there wow. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Ray, um, Ray, do it, do, you know, do a teaser that we can do like the next series. <laughs> oh, exactly. We have to, I'm trying to tie everything up or do, create kind of like a universe so we can continue doing stories about, you know, the cryptonals because they're becoming very popular. People are, are really latching onto them and liking it. So yes. let's just stay tuned and follow me on all the social medias and, Visit our Indiegogo and, and uh, you know back the book once it comes out. Yeah, uh, Ray. Like I was saying, Excellent. I'll I'll put all your links on it uh, on whenever we we put out this episode. That way, people can reach out to you and stuff. So, thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. And like I said, whenever you want me back, I'm I'm ready. All right, man. Thank you for being on. Alrighty, man.